0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is a very special bonus omnibus review episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast. I'm Christopher Schneezy.
1: I'm Carson Patrick
0: and if you're joining us for the first time the spoiler warning podcast is a weekly film review program each week in the show we're going to dive in debate discuss and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you but this week as i mentioned just moments ago this is our omnibus review basically if you're if you're into the film world at all you know that december is when like basically everything in the world comes out it gets dumped in that weekend before christmas and after christmas and uh you know everybody's trying to get their their chances to get their oscars and all that jazz uh, and basically, we have done our best to see everything that we can. Um, I, I In the last two weeks or whatever, I've seen, if you count things that I've seen on streaming services and Junk like that I've seen, like seven or eight films, um, I can't even imagine, Carson, how many films you have seen. Uh, a, a lot, yes. <laughs> I, I assume you saw at, at <laughs> Chris, least one. Your,
1: your span of time over Christmas is like my whole year. <laughs> Where it's just like there's just too many things to see and you get overwhelmed with anxiety. Um yeah.
0: I mean it, it is <laughs> it is hard to to balance the, like if you're traveling, you're trying to visit with family, there's all these movies coming out, and everybody's like, what do we gotta do today? You're like, I don't know, but I wanna go see Darkest Hour.
1: <laughs> like, leave me alone.
0: <laughs> trying to watch these movies. But yeah, so we are gonna do our best to try to give brief reviews of six films for you this evening. Um, those films are going to be All the Money in the World, Darkest Hour, uh, Downsizing, I, Tonya, Chumanji, and uh, Molly's Game. Uh, we're going to try to go through these relatively quickly, but we wanted to give you a sense of what we've been watching, what we thought about those, while we're kind of stalling for Steven to get back from Paris so that we can do our end-of-the-year yeah. review. <laughs> right. So.
1: You so, yeah. you could you could basically say that you know the the amount of movies that come out over Christmas you know they're all uh, vying for one thing which is to try and make all the money in the world. Swish.
0: <laughs> that is very true. Um, <laughs> if, if we weren't secretly going to talk about something else before all the money in the world, then that would have been a perfect segue. Oh <laughs> uh,
1: damn it! Yes, I, I forgot. I
0: didn't know you were you were bringing that up
1: on the top here.
0: I just want to get it out of the way yeah, early. Yeah, that's true. Um, just for funsies. I mean, so so Carson sees a lot of things. Like, like we all see a lot of things in this podcast. <laughs> I see uh, yeah,
1: everything. The <laughs> whole.
0: Carson literally sees every single thing that can come out that he has access to, and probably even some things that he doesn't have access to. Um, but a lot of the times, he will see things that I write off whole cloth from the moment the trailer starts. <laughs> and sometimes right. these are animated films that i'm just like there's why would i even see this stupid ass movie from not pixar why, <laughs> yeah. why why waste my time and uh carson you know berates me and yells at me forever and then eventually one day i finally either go out and see it if it still happens to be playing in theaters or i'm doing a little like, boop, 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 like swiping through the netflix channel after having just finished uh the latest season of black mirror and i see a little film that carson has been telling me to watch and I go, you know what? Fuck it, <laughs> let's watch Boss Baby.
1: You know, I I even sent them for people listening. I sent them a screenshot of when I saw that the Boss Baby was available on Netflix, and I <laughs> sent it to the text. It was like, oh shit, and got crickets.
0: <laughs> See, here's the thing though: is, is at that point in time, I would have had to go sh- search for that. <laughs> But in in this current moment in time I was already there It would have taken more effort to skip past Boss Baby Than to just hit the button and start watching it He's gotta
1: find it on his own, guys Uh, Guys.
0: But yeah, so so (laughs) I I watched it And uh, It's it's no storks Uh, I'll I'll say that first off But I will say that it was one of those things where I was like this fucking movie This doesn't even make sense This is so dumb How does this world building make sense? And then I ended up like Laughing out loud alone in my apartment, stupidly. And, uh, I, I, it's, it's not one that I will apologize for, for like completely writing off, but it was one that I had fun with and I enjoyed. And, uh, obviously the, the, uh, the children are cute together in the movie. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a cute movie. What, what can I say?
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't really make any, uh, uh, big statements about it other than I thought it was fun um, I I did think it was a lot cleverer than the ads made it seem um, but uh, but yeah like it, it was it wasn't uh, like a Storks obviously I, I that is the better movie although weirdly this and Storks are kind of like companion movies they're like this is almost like a spiritual sequel in ways because they're kind of similar in their uh, world building and stuff
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think I think like Storks is is great all the way through and like the idea behind it is really really interesting. This movie like it's sort of clumsy how it's set up, but like once you get to the halfway point and you just buy into the mission that's going on, you're like, "Okay, I, I'm with this movie. This is, this I'm I'm here. This is fun." Like it's very like it it doesn't make sense that some babies are just made made into managers like, there, there's no rational it <laughs> doesn't make sense in your mind does yeah, not like, compute when, it, it just doesn't make sense at all but once you get past that it, it's a funny movie and it, it does become more clever as it goes on it's like we're gonna clumsily put you into the context for what this film is and then you can just enjoy it and i did so
1: yeah, so, yeah, it's a it's a fun movie. Like I said when we talked about Coco, sometimes you just want to watch Alec Baldwin voice of a baby instead of you know some serious fucking movie, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah.
0: Speaking of serious fucking movies, oh uh, yeah, a little more serious. <laughs> um, I think I think we should start off our omnibus review right now, Carson. You ready for this? I'm I'm ready. All right. So first up on the docket, all the money in the world. Uh, basically, the story of uh, the kidnapping of the grandson of J.P. Getty and uh, his lack of interest in spending any money to pay the ransom to get his grandson back, and sort of where that situation takes family and uh, said individuals. So, Carson, what did you think of all the money in the world?
1: Um, I um, it, it was okay. Like. It was disappointing. I uh, I I think it's kind of like the anti thriller. Like it's pretty. uh, There's a long. There's long stretches of this movie where I was I was very bored. Um, But then there'd be some things that would bring me back in. I was like, oh, like this is what I was you know hoping, and. What it boils down to is the movie is like two hours and 15 minutes. It should have been like 90 minutes. It should have been like a Sully or a Steve Jobs where they cut out all the fat and they just give you um, a movie that centers around the the kidnapping.
0: (laughs) I I, I would love if this movie was three points in Getty's life where he made all his riches. (laughs) And then at the end, it's just his decision of whether or not to pay the ransom.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, because, uh, I mean, the character of of J. Paul Getty is, um, I mean, he's a great character. Like, uh, the, the fact that we get to see him, uh, as Mark Wahlberg said, You rapacious old fuck! Uh, uh, he's like, I mean, he's like no holds barred, like a cheap bastard. Um, you know, yeah. we see him, a lot of great scenes where he's, cutting corners like wherever he can to save money even though he's like a bajillionaire um so that was that was interesting that was that was uh fun to watch um but yeah like i feel like the it just needed uh a, a, a sense of urgency like it needed to just be if it had just been solely about the kidnapping um and kind of had like a ticking clock element. Like we need to, we need to find him. You know, Mark Wahlberg comes in. You're like, oh shit, I forgot he was in this movie. Just like every time I saw the trailer, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg shows up. He's like, I work for Mr. Getty, and you're like, oh yeah, Mark Wahlberg's in this. Um, sweet. Um, so if it was more that, um, because there's a lot, you know, we kind of get that in the beginning. It starts off, and then you know, it just kind of it it deflates because we we cut back and forth. We cut to all these flashbacks to show uh, J. Paul Getty the as like a kid and, you know, how he, you know, his father became a drug. It's like, I don't care about that. Like, I just want, you know, the kidnapping is clearly the angle here. Yeah. And that's what I feel like should be the sole focus. Um, or like you said, if it had just been about J. Paul Getty and how he's a greedy, cheap bastard, that would have been great, too.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, I think this story would have completely changed and also been more exciting if it was told from the viewpoint of, of you know, Getty Sr. And if you could see him and his rationale and sort of get in his head and understand why he wouldn't want to pay it, as opposed to having him being this looming figure that was sort of just like hovering over the situation and being just the monster who doesn't want to pay. Like that, that could be like a really compelling narrative. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because there's a lot of points in the movie where, um, they cut back to Getty, and you're like, oh yeah, like you, it's a, it's another thing where you're like, oh yeah, like we're back to get like you want more of that. You kind of forget about the other characters because they spend too much time on like some boring stuff you don't care as much about. Um, be, um, yeah, but I did think that Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams had a uh, like really good chemistry like I wanted more of them too together because they were kind of like bantering off each other uh the probably the the my favorite part was they're in they're in a car I can't remember where they're going but uh Michelle Williams is just like you're lazy you're lazy (laughs) and Mark Wahlberg's like ma'am ma'am you know he's doing his thing so that was fun Um, you know, what am I supposed to do? Look after your kids? Like, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, there's just some, there's like some good rapport going on there. Um, and Christopher Plummer was great as a Getty and it was very, you know, seamlessly done. The fact that this was literally filmed like less than a month, you know, mere weeks before the movie was released, uh, Ridley Scott, you know, famously, was a total badass it was just like sure i'll get it done fuck it um you know and and took it took it on yeah Um, i think think they
0: even like released the a a new trailer as soon as they were like as soon as it was done editing they're like and here's the trailer go
1: i think they weren't even done filming yet like the the nine days or whatever that uh that they had done um but yeah like and it was funny how okay so you know I don't want to go too long on it, but it was it was funny how... So, like, before all the Kevin Spacey stuff, the trailer for this movie came out, and it had Kevin Spacey as Getty in it. And, like, even when I saw that trailer, I was just like, this is so fucking dumb. Like, like... <laughs> f- Kevin Spacey looks terrible. He has, like, like, J. Edgar, like, terrible level makeup. Like, SNL... <laughs> SNL sketch makeup. Because it's like, he's not an old man. Like, Getty is supposed to be... In his eighties, and then they hire Kevin Spacey. Like it doesn't make any sense, and they put him in all this like really bad looking old make old man makeup. And you know, in the trailer, it's supposed to be this big reveal where they're like, "And Kevin Spacey as J. Paul Getty." And he takes his glasses off, and you're just like, "Wow, that was lame." You're like, like, why it's is just... Doug here? <laughs> why is Craig T. Nelson in this movie? Um, yeah, it was. It was like it was like the opposite effect of what they were like trying to go for. Um and then once they decided to once Ridley decided decided to replace him with Christopher Plummer, which hilariously or ironically was his original choice for the role, but the studio was like, "We need a better a uh, a bigger name," and it's like, okay, um, a bigger name than Oscar-winning legendary actor Christopher Plummer. But anyway, uh, who's an actual eighty-year-old, man, <laughs> a man in his eighties, so they don't have to like touch up with a bunch of makeup. Anyway. Um, but then, so they, they put him in the movie, right? They, they replaced, replaced Spacey. And then all of a sudden the trailer was awesome. Like they put out that new trailer and I was like, (laughs) why the fuck didn't they put this? Why didn't they cut this trailer to begin with? Like, this is the, I was like, yes, I want to see this movie. That other movie? Fuck that movie. I want to see this movie. I was like, yeah, unfortunately the movie didn't live up to that level of like intensity and like thriller element of the trailer but at least it was like, oh, like why weren't they doing this from the start? Like I don't, know. it didn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah. But
1: it, it, that's my long-winded way of saying Christopher Plummer, great in the part, completely seamless except for the scene where he's in the desert and takes yeah his glasses the Yeah, fla- the
0: flashback where it looks like yes I don't, I don't they say that there was zero green screen used but like there that's was, some fucking green screen I've ever no, seen there in my life.
1: There was de- that was definitely green screen, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, and did you notice how, like, when he stepped off the train, it was still uh, Kevin Spacey? Like, for... <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> like, so when he's in the desert, you know, like, and, you know, he steps off the train, but it was a wide shot, and I think they were just hoping, like, well, it's an old man, I hope nobody notices. But it was totally Kevin Spacey's dumb old man makeup face. Yeah. Yeah, but other than, other than that, other than that one... A green screen shot I was like wow it looks like they this was how
0: they planned it all along yeah I mean I, part, part of my excitement for seeing this film was to see what Christopher Plummer could pull off in those nine days uh, or, or you know what you know, Ridley Scott could too. I mean, like I, I basically want to see everything that happened, and like the controversy surrounding the movie is sort of what pumped me up to see it. Uh, I th- none of the trailers that I saw, I don't, I don't think I actually even saw the the recut trailer that was released later. But none of them got me super pumped for the story because I didn't really know anything about it. It just seemed like, oh, this is like a super awards baity film, but whatever. I'll I'll try and watch it. Um, I think for me. I like as I said before like I would have loved to see I would have loved to get in Getty's head and sort of understand his rationale for doing things but he's not he's not the main character of the story he's just the main thing affecting the story like the one preventing the story from being over in 10 minutes (laughs) and uh, I think that the story isn't technically that exciting it's one of those things where it's 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 whatever the equivalence is to a deus ex machina at the end where it's just like and now we'll just resolve the story because this is where the story ends um it it just had like a weird feeling where like there's tension building and tension building you're wondering how things are going to happen and then there is no exciting conclusion to the story it's just the end of the story and that's kind of how it goes and and it feels like there was so much time front-loading the events that led to the 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 relationship being the way it was between um, the boy's mother and and obviously Getty himself, um, and I and I don't think any parts of that story are really that exciting. Um, I I don't know, like I I I liked Christopher Plummer when we first meet him, where he's not really bad yet. He actually seems like kind of a nice old grandpa guy. Um, I there is a part of me who kind of wants to see the Kevin Spacey cut to see when getty's full-blown evil bad guy grandpa <laughs> like i i because i mean we've seen enough properties where kevin spacey is playing a bad dude um and mm, i yeah i i think it could have been a little bit more exciting to see him but but plumber was great in the role like hands down i obviously no diss to him i just kind of wish that i could have seen kevin spacey being the evil grandpa um <laughs> Well, but apparently you- we we will see
1: the footage eventually, like, on a Blu-ray or something, because Ridley Scott said that, you know, it'll eventually
0: come out. Um, I hope there's, like, a thing where you hit the button on your DVD remote to just switch between <laughs> the actors. <laughs> well, because, like, well, first of all, I don't think I could get past that
1: terrible, like, the makeup. It just looks way too phony to me. Yeah. Like, that, I think, would be really distracting. Like, I think Kevin Spacey would have been fine in the part. It's just that makeup would have been so distracting. Um, and also, I feel like... Well, at least according to Ridley Scott, he said that Kevin
0: Spacey's performance was a lot colder. Um, Yeah, yeah, which is exactly what I would expect from Kevin Spacey playing an evil guy who doesn't have a heart.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think Christopher Plummer's just like DJF, like slimy kind of matter of fact old man delivery of just like, oh, yeah, those fuckers. Like, you know, like he's just saying these lines um, with like. With very, like, theatricality, you know, like, that kind of a... I don't know, like, that is what I imagine more of, like, that character to be. Yeah. So... And 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 afterward, I was like, that's why my reaction was just, like, I can't even imagine anybody else but Plummer playing this part. Like... Yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't know. That's why it seemed like, um, you know, that it... It, 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 that it that he was in the movie all along. Yeah. From the start. Uh,
0: so I just want to say one last thing and then I want to move on because I think we're probably running long for this film, but uh I I love Michelle Williams. I think she's infinitely watchable watchable. <laughs> um I she was overacting so hard in this movie <laughs> that, <laughs> that it was distracting. Like she
1: was just, doing like the old timey voice like that. Ah. She was doing the
0: old timey voice but like everybody else was just speak in modern day, right? <laughs> like, like, everybody else was like, nah, this isn't a period piece. <laughs> we're, we're just in normal times. And she was just in, in a weird, old-timey newspaper stand, like, like, she, crazy stage voice. She was, she was voice. going
1: for it. I thought it worked. I mean, like I said, that stuff was, I thought, a lot more entertaining than, um, than, uh, like the, some of the kidnapping stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, it, it was just like, it was, like, it was fine. It didn't, bother me but it was just it was she, like it, she was in her own movie <laughs> Like she was like she got hit on the head and she woke up in that character and couldn't get out she was just I, like
1: I mean the only thing that and I didn't it didn't really bother me that much and it's not her fault but I mean she I mean she is old enough to play this part and be a mother obviously but like she just looks she still looks like a teenager so it just there is there is that kind of element where she looks way younger Um, but I mean I didn't, that was fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think the, you know, the, one of the most interesting things about this story is that uh, J. Paul Getty III, who got kidnapped, like, had a terrible life. Like, he got fucking kidnapped, and then he had a stroke and became paralyzed and uh, for the rest of his life uh, later on, and, you know, died at an early age. Like, it's a pretty, pretty tragic, you know, kind of true life story i mean it's it it's kind of inter or weird that it hasn't been made in, into a movie until now but yeah um yeah i mean it's a it's a much more interesting and tragic story than what they even say here and they didn't even say like in the coda at the end like oh yeah like that's what happened to him it was just yeah. it was kind of at the end they were just like come visit the getty center and i was like all right <laughs> i was like i haven't been there and then we literally went there like the next day
0: nice uh, well, yeah. well. Speaking of films where everything important in the story happens once the movie's over, let's move on into Darkest Hour. Um, this is the the other Dunkirk movie from this. Uh, oh yes. Year. There's that actually,
1: is... you know what I found out there's three Dunkirk movies this year. There's really? the There's these two, and then there's their finest with our with our gal Gemma Arterton, um, which is about like the. The British uh, film department in the like the war department or I'm not explaining this well, but they like they made the (laughs) they made movies to like boost morale during like World War Two. Yeah. And so they make a movie based on uh, one of the stories they hear from from Dunkirk. And I thought it was it was pretty good. But anyway, so there's a third movie this year, if anyone's interested, completing the trilogy.
0: All right, well, we're only talking about one of those films right now. Darkest Hour, Churchill gets made Prime Minister, and everybody thinks he does a bad job. Um, so, Carson Patrick, what did you think of this film? Oh, I'm
1: Sorry, that was my impression, did you? I don't know if you understood. No, yeah.
0: It, 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 that, that movie, <laughs> at, at first, it, it took me about 10 minutes to acclimate to his accent, um, and I was really scared that I was not gonna be able to understand him at all through the whole movie but i i I became accustomed to it pretty quickly uh it's pretty great um
1: talk about the complete opposite of uh end of the spectrum in terms of uh old man makeup uh because Darkest hour is probably one of the best examples ever at least recently um of aging up an actor uh and making it look incredibly real like i still don't know how they pulled this off because Gary Oldman legit looks like a fat dude <laughs> like a, like a like a jowly you know he's got the jowls i think that's the most impressive part of the makeup is the jowls uh, because you really don't know where his face ends and and the makeup uh and the prosthetics and stuff begin um and they get like really Tied on him they get really up close in his face almost challenging you to be like yeah you know find the flaws and you you really can it's it's e- extremely impressive like um uh, if they don't win the best makeup oscar i don't know what the hell they're doing um voting wise but uh yeah like and also the just the complete opposite in terms of uh historical dramas or or biopics um you know this movie has uh, a lot of the the things that I wanted from all the money in the world, which was, you know, it's it's kind of it's just solely focused on one event, uh, which is, well, basically Churchill coming into power and then uh, the uh, invasion of Dunkirk. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not some cradle to the grave biopic. It's it's just about this kind of uh, defining moment in his career. And uh there's this real like thriller element to it, and a ticking clock element um very much you know in the same vein as Dunkirk, like you know they've got like the the that that sense of urgency like we need to get this shit done um and then you have one of the greatest actors ever, Gary Oldman, literally chewing through the d c p and into the theater um for, for just being like, just insanely over the top, but insanely great. Like, I mean, it's one of those like big, like go for broke performances that a lot of the times, you know, um, you know, feels, it feels like the, you know, the Academy, you know, usually goes for that. They want to go for the showy, like someone playing a real figure type of
0: performance. But like this one actually like deserves, the credit, like that, like it's yeah, like he he's doing a showing a showy acting style, and he's like swinging for the fences, but it's not overacting the way Michelle Williams was in All the Money in the World. Like he's just this character is a very animated person, and like he's he's yeah. playing him in a, in, a, in a way that doesn't feel like he's trying to overact. It just feels like oh, this is that guy. Like oh, I I I totally understand who this person is now.
1: Yeah, I mean it's I mean which is why I mean it's a testament to Gary Oldman, um, you know, it's in the same way that, like, Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood super over the top, but it's not like, oh, he's showing off, it's just, that's how the character is, and it's, like, really entertaining to watch, um, because I'll, I watch Gary Oldman just give all these big speeches and yell at people, uh, all damn day, um, it really, I mean, it's really the, It's really like the anti-biopic. Like, it just... It doesn't want to mess around with all the stuffy stuff. Um, It isn't interested in that. And that's what, you know... We get so many of these movies that are so boring because they just try and stick to the formula. And, like, um, when you see one that that breaks the mold, it's always so much better. Like, if you compare this movie to The King's Speech, it's like night and day. (laughs) Like, it retroactively makes The King's Speech even lamer like
0: <laughs> because well, I, I, I actually like the king
1: speech i mean it's uh, the king speech is a is a fine movie but like that is of the very traditional mold and everything and this movie is just like a punch in the face um and i thought i actually thought ben mendelson was way cooler than colin firth <laughs> as the same role <laughs> but um yeah it's 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 a really great movie. Uh, very much in the same way that I said when we talked about Kingsman. Like I've never met a Matthew Vaughn movie that I that I haven't liked. Uh, I've never met a Joe Wright movie that I haven't liked, um, and uh, that still stands. And I know that he's made uh, some movies that Chris is a real big fan of, <laughs> Hannah and Pan, <laughs> some favorites. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, for for me, I think I think this movie comes down to a war of two cherneses. Um I, uh, I I like I loved watching Gary Oldman play this role. Like this, I think this film is incredibly entertaining from the standpoint of just watching the character of Churchill. Like I want to see him in all the scenes. I want to see when he is seemingly nice or seemingly not nice to people around him where, where he's trying to just continue to maintain this resolve of this idea that he thinks is genuinely a good idea. Like it's, he's, he doesn't, he doesn't come off as a character who, uh, you know, he's not coming off as like the, the Admiral chick from star Wars, right? Where she's like, everybody's like, why is she making these decisions? What does she know? Like you understand his resolve and his desire to do the things that he does. And you see the weight in his own eyes of, making decisions that sacrifice soldiers right it's not just somebody's like this is what we shall do it's somebody who feels bad when there are losses but thinks that the overall goal that he's aiming towards is more important than the sacrifices that are being made um all that is really entertaining i think the narrative for this movie is just so strange to me like everything important about this story takes place in the titles at the end of the film like uh this is a movie about a bunch of people going like, uh, I mean, we got to get rid of this one guy, but who can we put in power that the other side won't completely hate? I guess we got this Churchill guy. Let's give it to him. Oh, wait, we all hate him now. He's making decisions we don't like. We should all threaten to quit. Yeah, we should all threaten to quit because this guy seems to suck and he's just there progressing on. And then everything important happens after the movie's over like like I, I I guess I don't understand the need to tell the story in this way like I get that we see who he is but there's really like the film sort of takes you on a journey where you start to believe that maybe Churchill is making the wrong decisions right where you start to get on the side of his cabinet members and the people on his opposition you're kind of like well is he doing the right thing? Like that—that's the way the story wants to tell it. And in the end, the answer just like, well, I mean, he was right, right? Results speak for themselves. But there's no moment where you see pieces falling into place. He's just a person who has a steadfast decision that they can't negotiate and can't give up. Um, and you can't just put up titles at the end. It goes like, oh yeah, and the British one. <laughs> like, well, I mean, we already know
1: that. I mean, I feel like in a—that's uh, kind of what I was, you know, getting at with. In a lesser movie, in a more traditional movie, I think that they would show you that, and they would focus maybe more on that or, or the stuff you're you're more familiar with. Um, but, but I
0: mean, even even how they they handle the events of of Dunkirk, it's it's a ten second phone call where it's like, yes, how many civilian vessels do we have in there? Yeah, uh, maybe just send them. All right, ciao. Yeah, but
1: that that <laughs> phone call seemed very seemed very realistic in terms of how it went down like it it felt like oh yeah like i could see that going down the the, the way that it did
0: yeah, yeah but like the way they show it in the film is is almost like it was the call happened as a hypothetical where he's like hey just as a backup plan give me the numbers on whether or not this would work cut to him saying like well at least everybody was rescued we got all our boys back and uh roll credits <laughs> And it it, it's it's like it's a it's a really weird way to sort of like yada 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 over all of the events. Like it it basically is a bunch of buildup followed by credits, and during the credits they tell you that everything worked out.
1: Well, did you okay? Now I can't remember. So, but did you actually end up seeing Steve Jobs?
0: Uh, Movie? Are you talking about the Ashton Kutcher one?
1: No, 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 not that. Not that one, the the fassy one, the Danny Boyle one. Yeah, yeah, I saw the Fassbender one. Okay, okay. So, like, I mean, did you like that movie? I guess is my first question. Yeah, I liked that movie a lot. Okay, well, but that is kind of like the same... That that movie is kind of the same vibes because... um, And and kind of where a lot of other people criticized it because it was kind of what you're describing here where it, it was all built up to kind of like the the main event or whatever that that we all know and then it it stops it cuts you know and it and it jumps forward in time to like the next segment but,
0: but what that film does differently is it takes an entire person who I have a personal connection and fondness to like as far as w- just a bunch of things like I wouldn't be podcasting right now if it wasn't for Steve Jobs um and I that may sound like a weird statement but it's it's just true um and I think that Watching that film and watching somebody take that man's life and reduce it down to three moments in time and try to sum up his entire existence in those three moments is not only an impressive work, but I think it's a successful trying to tell of who this person was. And in Darkest Hour, it's, it's literally – Churchill is a one-note person who says, like, I don't care what the cost is. I'm not going not gonna to negotiate and I'm not going to surrender. And we don't see how him having that resolve equals uh, the British being okay in the end. It just tells us that they were okay in the end. And I think that's the difference. Like, the, the, the Steve Jobs movie, like, tells me in those experiences who he is and why the things that he did were able to be accomplished. And this just says, like, well, he was the one in charge... Nobody could tell him no, and he refused to 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 negotiate um and, and i guess i I could see the argument that they're sort of similar if all three of those moments in Steve Jobs were just the one moment of him saying no <laughs> uh, but I, I i just i don't know something about it i like i I like the character study of the man i just um i i just it's just a weird. Way it's like the movie wants you to maybe think that he was making the wrong decision, and then he goes and rides the subway, <laughs> and then you're supposed to go like, nah, he was right the whole time, <laughs> and and that as a narrative construction bothers me.
1: Well, I mean, I got into podcasting because of Winston Churchill, so <laughs> I related, <laughs> but I I mean, I don't know. I I feel like they show they show him they show what made this a defining moment at the end with his big famous speech and everything and i don't think the stuff afterward because we know we know what happens already and we know the outcome of that so i mean i like the fact that they had the scenes of whether or not they're true whatever it could just be movie magic that's fine like the the scenes of him on the subway talking to the people like i I like that stuff. I mean, I like the fact that this was like a movie movie. Like it wasn't a fucking, you know, um, trying to be like a, a ultra realistic or um, something like that. Like it it just felt like a good old fashioned um, Hollywood historical drama uh, that had a little more flair than most of these types of movies. Um, the other thing I, I forgot to say real quick, was like the, like, like the title treatments and stuff, how they kept flashing up the date, and it would like, uh, you know, it would change, like it's this big, uh, I don't know, but it, you know, like the, the dates would change, and it would be like super huge on the screen, like that, that was, that was cool, like I liked all that stuff, and uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I, got, I got the essence of what you're saying you didn't get from that, from those Scenes. I mean, from all this movie, I think. So that's why I was, I'm kind of, uh, kind of confused as to, or, uh, not confused, but I guess, uh,
0: <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's, it's fine. Like, like I said, I, I enjoyed watching it. It was just like when the credits rolled. I was like, "Oh, we're we're just gonna we're gonna end it here." Okay. You you wanted cool. it
1: to you wanted it to end with uh, Harry Styles reading the speech in the paper <laughs> on a train.
0: <laughs> I wanted to end. I wanted to end with somebody burning a plane. That's, yeah. that's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, but
0: uh, yeah. But uh, sh- shall we go on? Yeah. All right, now on to the film that I probably have the least to say and the least, uh, (laughs) at at least, least positive to say, at least. Um, I said least a lot there. Uh, We're talking about downsizing, which is the story Mm. of, uh, you know, some people develop a technology that allows uh, full size humans to shrink down to about five inches tall, uh, limits waste, you know, might be the answer to our population plant uh, problem or overpopulation problems on this planet that was a mouthful um and uh you know our hero matt damon is uh going to get shrunk with his wife and uh last second she bails out too late he's already been shrunk and he has to go live in uh the shrunken down world and try (laughs) to get on with his new life (laughs) so carson the shrunken place what did you think of matt damon's adventures in Putin?
1: (laughs) i um yeah, I, I didn't like this movie either. Um which is <laughs> which is disappointing because I've liked uh Alexander Payne's previous movies. Um so I thought it was going to be at least um somewhat in- entertaining uh, or at least uh, interesting. Um I mean the concept is is a solid concept. Um but I think they kind of they kind of jettison it for this really like dopey um like wannabe not wannabe but really on the nose social satire about saving the planet and stuff that I'm just like I don't care about that movie because like the after Matt Damon gets downsized um he like it becomes a completely different movie um and and you know again it's not the it's not the studio's fault but it's marketed as a very wacky comedy like oh look we're tiny oh. um and it's not it's not really a comedy at all like there is like elements of comedy in it but it's mostly like very dramatic um it's a
0: weird dramatic too because i yeah i never quite i for some reason i never buy matt damon is seriously believing anything that he's saying <laughs>
1: like, yeah it's it, weird it has it's, like
0: a, a level of condescension to his performance that well, he's playing like off-putting.
1: a he's playing like a really like dopey guy, and I guess that was intentional, but like I don't know, he's he's definitely not charismatic Matt Damon in this movie, which yeah. again, like I feel like I would I would be praising that and also the fact that like this movie would have this like really brilliant concept and then just throw it away for something else, like I feel like I've praised movies like that in the past. But what they throw it away for is like so uninteresting and dull. I was like, I don't care about like the last half of this movie. Um, I was just like, I got really bored. Like I was just like, I don't care about any of this stuff.
0: Um, and Dude, it's a long, you, it's a long have, movie. It's like two hours and fifteen minutes. You have, you have no idea the journey I went on. Oh, you went film. on. You went to Norway. You
1: got on the little <laughs> fucking tiny boat with your vodka no, like, bottles.
0: So so, like I actually got kind of excited in a way for this film because I I don't know I don't know why, and, I, and this is once again this is going to be one of those my fault situations where I expected one thing I got something completely different, but mm. I, but I was kind of expecting like this guy buys into this thing and you know his life gets turned upside down as he you know loses his wife and has to go live in this world that's been downsized, but like maybe he would go on some like Walter Mitty esque sort of adventure where he sort of learns to love life now that life has been shrunken down and it's like the little things become important literally and figuratively and i and i kind of expected this this journey of maybe a heartwarming story that really just makes you happy for what you have and makes you think about adventures that you can go on once in, in in one in one time um when this movie started off immediately schnazy brain was going off and I was just trying to think of the mechanics of this world and I'm like, oh wait, okay guys, so if you get shrunk, your money expands and it's worth more but like if you bought a laptop... It would still have to be laptop cost in real life, and then shrunk down because they they can't just make the laptop for cheaper at smaller prices. And like my, I spent the first like forty five minutes of this movie oh, trying brother. to understand the economies of scale of how this world would even work. And well, they by just that get, time, they
1: just get tiny little children to make the <laughs> tiny little laptops.
0: <laughs> but like they it, just it gonna makes, shrink
1: it, down those laborers.
0: <laughs> but it, it makes sense that like. Why would you need to pay for the whole cost of a head of lettuce that was made in the big world if, like, one leaf of that lettuce would feed everybody in your entire city because they're so small? But that only works for produce and things that grow naturally in the world. Like, anything else that has to be made in a real factory and then shrunken. Like, cell phones would not be cheaper in Little World because they're smaller. They would be, if anything, more expensive because they have to be made giant size and then shrunk. And then, like... Things in the world still have to be operated on by large people. So like – because the goal of this film is not just some people reduce waste on the planet. It would be that by one year, everybody on the planet will have been shrunken down to shrunken size. But it doesn't work because there would always need to be big people to rule the world <laughs> – and like operate anyways it's, it's beyond the point this movie is not worth diving that deep into
1: yeah i already um, i felt i my eyes glazed <laughs> over so <laughs> but
0: but by, but by the time i i decided to stop trying to think about the logistics of the world that i was watching it was already into that hard switch to that moment where like matt damon is like now dealing with the situation with the the woman who had come on, o- over in the lunchbox and it, i just i don't i don't even know well, that was a whole other thing because that's so, the whole rest <laughs> of the movie.
1: I know, it's, but it's it's funny how well. You, I mean, after seeing the movie, I was like, "Well, now I know why they left all of her stuff out of the trailer." <laughs> um, because it's like so like if you haven't seen the movie, there's the actress Hong chow Hong Chow plays a Vietnamese dissident who gets like shrunk against her will. And comes to the U.S. in a fucking, like, TV box or whatever. And, like, it's so, like, the the choice to have her play it very broad and, like, stereotypical was a a bold choice. But it was weird because it was, like, very conflicting with the dramatic nature
0: of the movie. Yeah, um, but, but that's the weird thing, too, is they try like to put I, all of the heartfelt stuff in her mouth at the, yeah. the end of the film. Like, she is the linchpin for this entire story. And it's, like... You feel, like you feel weird watching it. You don't know why we're taking this journey now. It completely sidelines this entire story. And like you spend the last hour of the film, where everything is too scale to the people you're experiencing. Like if they didn't ha- like when when they're in Norway, if they didn't have those giant vodka bottles, you would not know everybody didn't just appear normal size anymore. Like, yeah. There's one visual gag right at the end uh, that has to do with uh, theoretical oh, yeah. explosion, which yeah. kind of reminds you that we're scale size. But like everything you're watching is just normal size, and it, it's not like the cool way that they do it in like Lord of the Rings and stuff, where it's cool image tricky. It's just like, well, everyone on screen is normal size now, so
1: yeah. Deal there's with it. there's no more like forced perspective or anything. Yeah. but it's weird because so, and I think what you know because like. Usually, Alexander Payne's other movies are, like, pretty smart, and they have, like, a level of, like, kind of crude comedy in it. But, like, this was, like, really weird because it had those two things. It had, like, what felt like those two things, but they just, like, never came together at all. Like it, uh, like I said, like, they're, like half the movie, the first half of the movie feels like some leftover Fairly Brothers movie from, like, the 90s. And then the last half of the movie, like I said, is this, like, really on-the-nose, like, boring, uh, you know, let's save the world, let's save the planet uh, message movie. And I was just like, this is, because it, it gets really serious at the end. And then, but then you still have, like, um, the Hong Chao character. She's playing it so broad, and you're just like, what? Because like, I was like, what? Like, I never got used to her. And it was just so weird because, like, I feel like in the in the actual Fairly Brothers version, like Mike Myers or Eddie Murphy would be playing the Matt Damon role and the Hong Chow role. <laughs> like, it'd be like a dual role, right? Like, that's what it felt like. It felt like the, it felt like it was supposed to be this really wacky, silly comedy, or at least, you know, I don't know. Maybe I feel like it just should have gone full wacky, because um, I was down with Christoph Waltz. And his
0: shenanigans, <laughs> but, but that's just the weird thing about the film too. Is like, it doesn't even feel like it's honestly trying to satirize anything. Like, no, th- it doesn't. This, this it doesn't. could be a movie that's making fun of doomsday preppers, but right. the problem is, this movie is both making fun of them and saying that they're right, but also criticizing the desire to save yourself by doomsday prepping. Like, it, yeah, it's it, it's so weird. It's really and weird. It's, and then
1: and then on top of that, we get the. We get the Hong Chao character who's just like feels like in a totally different movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I don't know. Th- this movie, I like. Dude, it, I was <laughs> this shocked. Movie, I, I was not sure that I hadn't fallen asleep, sleepwalked into another theater, <laughs> and saw something else that had Matt Damon in it. like, You're like it, it,
1: Is it, this it, Suburbicon? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, like, I, I wish I would have sleptwalked into Suburbicon over this, but yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean like I said usually his movies are the like that right balance of like uh like adult humor and uh smart drama, but this was like all over the place. It didn't work at all. Um and I was actually I was really surprised to see people praising Hong Chau's performance. Like she got a Golden Globe nomination and I was like I guess she is good. Like her her performance is good. Because she's a Vietnamese-American, like, she speaks flawless English. Like, I watched an interview with her, and it was just like, well, I guess she is putting on an accent and doing it like anyone else would, you know? So I yeah. guess you I guess you have to, like, give her credit for that. But it's just, in the context of the movie, it's so weird. Like, when she first came on, I turned to Sarah, and I was like, oh, oh, oh here we go. <laughs> like, I gave her the look, like, oh... Oh, this is how they're going to go? Okay.
0: Yeah. Did they know this is 2017? <laughs> like, oh, man.
1: Well, not even that, but just I was like, I can't believe they're going this route in this movie because it was so serious. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> no.
0: you, 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 might, you might say this movie is worse than a crack in the knee.
1: Yeah, you're right. I'd
0: rather get fucking cracked in the knee. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that leads us to the next one that we want to talk about. So, Segue. Tonya. Um, which is the like dramatic telling of the, I guess, the, the film doesn't even really focus on much of a rivalry, but the eventuality of you know Tanya Harding and uh, her relation to the events that took place when Nancy Kerrigan had her knee bashed in. Yeah. Um, Carson Patrick, did you like this any more than downsizing? <laughs>
1: oh, I uh, liked it a, a, a lot more. Um, again, another example of a really strong uh, biopic uh really out of not out of the box but uh at least approaching it with a little more out of the boxness than the traditional uh formula um because like when I first heard about oh they're gonna make a I uh Tanya Harding movie I was like well that's dumb uh but then <laughs> like kind of kind of seeing the reactions and like uh seeing the trailers seeing what they're what they're doing they're kind of going, you know, I was like, oh, actually, this looks cool. Um, and, and when I saw the trailer, I was like, well, this is this has the potential to be this year's pain and gain. And I think it lived up to that. I think it hit that um, where it's just like really trashy people uh, trying to <laughs> do uh, illegal things and failing hard and. Um, And it's 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 really entertaining to watch. Um, I mean, it's one of those true stories that uh, is like a stranger than fiction type of thing. Um, I mean, I remember when that story happened, and I mean, it was pretty crazy. It's like, like you know, in the movie, I love that the movie doesn't really um, doesn't really mess around with like facts or anything. We we get to see the the this story from a bunch of different uh, Povs, um, everyone's kind of contradicting themselves, and I thought that was I thought that was cool. You know, we get all these like uh, uh, direct to camera interviews with all the main characters, um, and uh, I mean, really, it's just what it comes down to is that my hot take was when I walked out, I was like, oh, so Tanya Harding was the DC of the figure skating world. <laughs> um, because she was super fucking trash and everyone in the, in the figure skating world was just like, you can't be that way. We need you to change. Um, we need you to be a little more basic. And she was like, fuck you, suck my dick, whatever. I'm going to skate to ZZ Top or whatever it was. Um, you know, and, and dress scantily and stuff. Um, and kept going on. And then I took it further And Sarah was just like, you're fucking dumb. Um, I was just like, I was like, I mean, this is, I was like, this is a pretty good theory because it's like, not only that, but she's played by Harley Quinn herself. And then not only that, she gets beat up by Bucky Barnes, the whole movie, Marvel trying to beat
0: up DC all the fucking time. You know what? It didn't even occur to me that was him. (laughs) I was like, this is totally, this is totally
1: it. And then on top of that, I was like, I, I busted out some trivia. I was like, you know, I watched a thing in Tanya Harding in real life when she did the triple axel. She skated to Danny Elfman's Batman theme. I was like, it's all come full circle. This is all, this is a solid theory, I think. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I think uh, I can't wait for Tanya Harding to join uh, Suicide Squad 2, clearly. Um uh but yeah it, it plays very much like that um it's uh what sarah and i called mervin's
0: rock is like just super trash <laughs> 90s you know, it, it's it's honestly funny how trashed up they made it because when you see the real footage of tanya harding at the end of the movie she just looks like a nice like wholesome yeah. country girl <laughs> like yeah like, i mean but she clearly had real a, her a, like it, it i didn't I didn't see in the real version the real footage of her, which I obviously didn't remember from back in the day. I didn't see the trash girl. I just saw a, what seemed like a nice girl.
1: Yeah, but it was the '90s, dude. Everyone was just trash in their own way, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I loved. I loved the energy of the movie. I loved the um, the in your face ness of it. The it 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 just kept going. It just was like relentless. Like they, it never dulled um yeah like they uh they do a lot of the like faux scorsese tricks but it like it worked in this it was like okay like i'm fine with that um and all the music choices and stuff um yeah i like that it was just it portrayed tanya it wasn't trying to be like sugarcoating or cutesy about it it was just like all right here she is according to what we you know according to the people who were involved and stuff. And I mean, like, the characters read, like, characters in a movie. Like, the mom... Like, Allison Janney as her mom feels like a movie character. It doesn't... Yeah. like, And then when you see the footage of her, you're like, oh, like, that's her, like... Yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Well, that, that, that's, I think... That is, that is the funny thing, too, is because the, the film is up front about this. Like, this story is based on the testimony of the characters that you're about to watch. Like, yeah. so it's them telling their own uh, explanation of all the events that took place. And um, it, it's, it's like way up front about the fact that these are the people who are going to tell you the story that you're about to watch about them. So buckle in and hold on. And I think that um, it's... It's entertaining as hell. I mean, my, one of my favorite parts of the movie is towards the beginning where uh, I think it's Bucky who's talking about how everybody has their own memory of this event. Most people remember that Tanya did the knee bashing herself. And like mm-hmm, when he said that yeah. line of dialogue, I was like, is that what I think? <laughs> like in my head, I, I tried to remember back to any of my knowledge of my st- of the story. And I have zero recollection of any of the events. I just know like their rivalry and the bashton knee. I guess I just assumed it was her that did it. Um, no, it
1: was a total I can't think of the phrase, but it's 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 one of those things where um you know, everyone thinks it's Luke I am your father, but it's no I'm your father. You know, it's one of those things that like it, it it's been like repeated so wrong <laughs> or by so many times that it's just be, people think that's it and I think that's one of those examples you know where everyone just assumes that tanya harding was the one that that did it it yeah, wasn't yeah. wasn't these like goony guys that they hired again who felt like they're out of a, a movie yeah yeah um, and, it's,
0: and it's funny because the rivalry was like totally just from the tv announcers like it was a thing oh, yeah. that was that was, was like perpetuated by by the people talking yeah. about the event not by those two contestants themselves like yeah it was they, all
1: sensationalized yeah yeah
0: and, it, and it's and it's interesting because you're you really only pay attention to these people for those few weeks that the olympics are every time the olympics are and happening and outside of that you don't really follow or pay attention to these these people so you don't know what their life is outside of that your your only experience of the people that you watch in the olympics is what those announcers are saying and they could talk some shit <laughs> so yeah well, i I, really- I i did like how you know she said
1: well she being Margot Robbie in the movie said like oh like I didn't have a problem with Nancy Kerrigan you know it it kind of in the beginning um, yeah like
0: they they shared uh hotel rooms on some of the tours
1: yeah um but I mean I like that they kept the focus solely on Tanya Harding um and um yeah I mean the the other thing that felt very pain and gain to me was the the complete lack of reality and and just movie reality too like they're constantly breaking the fourth wall um yeah yeah janney comes in in the middle just like hey like i'm not getting enough screen time here or something she has some line where she's like my storyline is fading
0: yeah she's like she's like and now my part of this part of the story is being completely written out
1: (laughs) yeah it's like they know it's like it's like super meta like they know they're in a movie yet they're actors playing real people and yeah um, I think Margot Robbie. I think she deserves to be. Uh, I, in my opinion, she's like the best, uh, female performance this year. Um, I thought she was really strong, and Allison Janney too. Um, and just to be really contrarian, um, Sarah said that uh, it was a better mother-daughter movie than Lady Bird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. And I was like, Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs>
0: No, but yeah, yeah, yeah. like I, I think I, I had the same reaction when I initially heard this was being made into a movie. I was like, oh, "Okay, this is gonna be dumb." And then when that first, even when that first trailer came out, where it's just like, "America, they want somebody to love, but it's all bullshit" or whatever. I don't yeah. remember the line, but like when that trailer first came out, that teaser, I was like, "What is this movie even gonna be?" Like, I had zero excitement for it. And then that first real full length trailer came out, where you actually saw the tone of the movie and how much energy it was going to have. And I was like, "Oh, okay, this is a movie I want to see. This is a whole different story." And yeah. uh, I think that like the the film does in, in, in like an incredibly good job of making you one hundred percent sympathetic for the Tanya Hard- Harding character. Um, y- like it's as, as you said, it does have like. It's not as stylized as Pain and Gain was, but it feels more grounded yet still as silly as those events. Um, the Like Bucky's friend in this movie is <laughs> so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. That it's, and, and the funny thing, too, is like, you, you know people. You, you know people that are like that guy. Oh, like, yeah. You, you, you want to say that there's no fucking way this person could have ever existed. But it's like, no, no, I 100 percent know Of and think that this was definitely a real person. Um, Oh, totally. Yeah. Though it it was super weird how, like, because except for like during the credits where you see like the performance she actually did in real life, uh, during the movie, the first few times they show that friend, it's film footage of a fake film recorded. (laughs) confession tape or not confession <laughs> but like i don't understand yeah like a news interview or whatever yeah like, i don't understand the decision to do that unless part of the interview they did with that guy in real life was actually just watching footage of that guy's interview which may entirely be possible like they might may have just like tried to transfer that to the film um if they didn't actually get a lot of chances to talk to that guy directly well i think um, he
1: he he passed away like a while ago i think got you so yeah i don't think he, he yeah
0: but but i mean like they still could have like because they obviously filmed those interviews but the decision was made to in the movie film a recording of the interview playing on yeah on yeah, the yeah. tv that was which, just
1: another extra layer of meta meta-ness or yeah you know.
0: it, it was just so ridiculous like every time that happened i was like
1: why why, why is this going on um but also in terms of in terms of makeup, uh Margot Robbie's neck rolls and uh when she's uh doing her direct-to-camera stuff, uh pretty on point. <laughs> um you know, it was like they tried they tried to do their best to really ugly up Margot Robbie. Um uh and I, they they pulled it off. I mean it was kinda hard. I, I like that she they weren't trying to make her look exactly like Tanya Harding, they were just like All right, this is good enough. You know, they 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 just
0: aim for what would a white trash Margot Robbie Robbie look like?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But her doing her direct to cameras, she's obviously supposed to be older. And um, yeah, those uh, the makeup on her neck. I was like, wow, they really uh, they really got that down.
0: I was very impressed with the neck roll makeup okay (laughs) just if if you've gotten anything from the review of all these films carson is really interested in neck makeup and jowls yes
1: yeah oh the jowls were great (laughs) definitely
0: yeah all right uh should we move on into jumanji all right yeah all right so jumanji is uh i would say the reboot but technically it seems like it's attempting to be a continuation of the original jumanji film
1: it's tech yeah they're calling it a sequel so
0: i thought it was a reboot but it's apparently a sequel as as per the opening to this film but uh in the original there is this board game called jumanji and when you go to play it you get sucked into the the game and uh you essentially have to i guess technically the game was brought into your world first right in the original one
1: um
0: Yeah. I feel like I feel like they didn't technically get sucked in, but like the jungle came out no, of the yeah, game. No, yeah, it came it was the reverse. The
1: it was reverse. They came yeah, out of the yeah. game into the yes. Yeah. But
0: essentially, in this film, that board game uh upgrades itself into a retro game console. Uh, totally. And a few high schoolers on detention decide to play the game and get sucked into the world of Jumanji, where they have to complete the uh the game. Under a certain, or I guess not technically in a certain amount of time, but basically have to complete the game, if they want to release themselves from the world of Jumanji, Carson Patrick, what did you think of this? Um, not to be totally blunt,
1: but I hated this movie. I hated this movie <laughs> so I don't think I've sat through a movie this year. Well, there actually have been worse movies, but um, uh, I've never been so just. I walked out of this movie, my soul was just crushed like I just I felt like I just I felt like life was over Uh, I mean I really I mean now I I will preface that by saying I huge fan of the first Jumanji like that I mean I'm a child of the 90s that fucking movie was the king I love (laughs) Jumanji dude Robin Williams I had a huge crush on Kirsten Dunst and Bonnie Hunt and they're both in that movie it was the ultimate storm as adventure, action, comedy, um, practical effects. Uh, It was great, dude. That movie is so good. Uh, It still holds up. I mean, it's such a great movie, a family adventure movie. Um, And I was, you know, excited, I guess, at the possibility of them doing another one. Like I was also under the assumption that it would be a reboot and then i heard them say like oh it's actually gonna be it was like a dumb you know the legacy sequel type of thing um and i was like well you know as long as they get the tone right i think it it could be fun and i don't know i just think like you know that was just one thing if they completely missed the mark in my opinion like it was just um it wasn't good dude um although i will say jack black steals the entire movie he's he's the one shining moment uh, shining element of this movie is jack black is great like he's the um the source of the comedy and um yeah he's great in the movie um but the movie it didn't even really feel like a jumanji movie like there was like hardly any there were were
0: people yelling jumanji the entire movie
1: (laughs) but there was like hardly any animal stuff there was just all this like weird like bobo mad max shit with bobby cannavale and his like motorcycle goons and i was just like what is this shit like i don't care about this shit (laughs) um yeah like i so i mean i like the cast i mean the the cast and also i was i'm a fan of you know the jake casden the director he did like orange county and walk hard and zero effect <laughs> is is that why the older version of uh oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's the connection the orange county connection right right and so i was like all right yeah that's cool um but yeah like i don't like it just it just well once they got into the game the movie got a little better because we got jack black and obviously the cast of real actors like the thing that killed me was in the beginning we get all these like just like wannabe no-name kids as the teenagers that are so annoying except for alex wolf he's good but he wasn't good in this movie um <laughs> and it was just like like the girls like with their selfie stick and she's like ah. i was like oh like i get that there's there's they're trying to be like Look how annoying these kids are. But Carson, I was like,
0: isn't that so kids today?
1: I know, but we know that's how they are. I was like, oh, like they put up 2017. I was like, yeah, I know. I could tell. Um, I didn't need to be reminded. Um, <laughs> but, we know uh, it's
0: the year of the dumb wiener kid. Oh,
1: it was so bad. Those uh, was The beginning was brutal. Um, and I also was
0: like... I, I, <laughs> the worst part about the beginning is only two of the four kids do anything worth going to detention for. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Everyone else is the most convenient, like, what, did you talk back to me a little bit? That's detention for you, honey.
1: Okay, so really, for people listening, the main reason I wanted Chris to see this movie was because I saw the movie back in April at a test screening, and I was like, one of the first test screenings I've been in a long time, because it was on a weekend. So I was like, all right, let's go see fucking Jumanji. Let's see what it's all about. You know, and we'll be so, like... We'll go in with the freshest minds possible because we won't we I did we hadn't seen any footage right, and I still was bummed you know afterward. But um, so like I'm interested and hopefully we can talk about some of the things. But like I'm I'm wondering if they changed anything other than like they just added in some of the, some more of the animal effects that weren't finished when I saw it. Um, but it was mostly done because this movie was supposed to come out in July. But um. Yeah, like, I, like, some of the comedy stuff, so, like, in the beginning, like, they go to detention, and, like, the principal or whatever says, like, all right, your detention is to take all these staples out of these magazines, and I was like, what? Like... Yeah, the that's I, the same. Yeah, I thought that was weird. Um, uh, Like, the the whole, the, so the whole concept is that, like, the game evolves, right, as time goes on, and it, it like it evolves into this, like, you know, Nintendo console because the movie starts out, and it's, like, 1996 because that's now a period piece. Um, and it starts out in, like, the 90s, and it has to evolve for the times, so the board game turns into a console, um, and then the kid gets sucked in. Um, but then we skip ahead to present day, and then that's when the kids find it in the the basement of the school. And, like, I don't know, like, I just thought, like, to me, what was so cool about the first Jumanji and a lot of movies back in the day, at least kids' movies, like, they treated it like it was a movie for adults. Like, they, like, didn't have to make... They didn't have to take Jumanji seriously because it was based on a a kid's book that's, like, 15 pages long and is all pictures, mostly. And, like, they didn't have to create this, like, really cool, like, world and stuff, but they did. And, like, they, you know, they did the thing where, like... Um, you know obviously since that movie was set in like the 50s like they had the board game and stuff but it's not like in that movie it's not like they updated it when it went to present day which was the 90s at the time they just kept like the you know they kept the old game and stuff like I feel like now like there was like a weird like thing where like we gotta make it into like an old console because nostalgia and then like at the end of the well I don't know if it happens but but like they they just felt like more of a need of like hey remember this like that's cool and then they like really try to like lamely shoehorn in like a reference to Robin Williams's character which I thought was like dumb and unnecessary um yeah I just it was a I just thought it was a big fail aside from Jack Black
0: Yeah well I mean I I I I wasn't going to see this I just saw it because you, like I, I I think I had heard somebody else mention I I I don't know. I I don't know why I saw it. Well, it's got it's
1: gotten like really good reviews, which I was surprised, um but not really though cuz like after we saw it, Sarah and I were like, "Well, since we hate it, I'm sure everyone'll like it." Yeah. <laughs> um I mean, but yeah, it, it, I was I was kind of surprised
0: at how like how fresh the reviews were, but I don't know. So so I think I definitely enjoyed it more than you did. I yeah. don't think it's hilarious. I don't think it's that great. But, but I think even more than enjoy it, I just sort of appreciated some of the things that they were doing. Like, um, I I know that, that you expressed not liking that they needed to update th- what Jumanji was in this universe and try to create, like, rules for it, I guess. But I kind of liked that okay, the, the console, like the boy who finds the board game is like board game. Why would I play that? So while the boy's sleeping, the board game absorbs itself and becomes like a console because it's something that the kid would actually play. And then like that, I'm like, it it was kind of dumb. And I kind of like half smiled out of the corner of my mouth. Like, eh, nice. That was the way you're going to update it. (laughs) Good one. (laughs) It was like a golf, golf clap. But I, I do like the, I do like that, um, the film understands the constructs of video games and and how like we we all know the tropes of the way video games work and in the game world we're only allowed to do certain things that will elicit certain responses from npcs and some like of that so like the jokes that they play with npcs in this story where it's like they have programmed responses and can only respond to certain inputs and if you are a living person from the real world and you give it feedback that it's not programmed to respond to, it will not respond until you give it the right thing. Like those jokes were kind of like, they were kind of fun in a little way where I just appreciate it being a person who plays video games where it's like, Oh, at least you guys are like, they, like their level design was shit in the movie. So I'm not celebrating. <laughs> I'm mean, not excele- yeah,
1: some of that stuff was humorous. Yeah. Like I'll give them that. Like the stuff with uh, Reese Darby from, uh, flight of the concords yeah 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 like
0: like th- those things were fun and them learning what their powers actually mean even though half of them are spoiled in the trailer like yeah there is there is some fun to be had i think what makes this film watchable for me is watching the watching the big characters the adults play the children and i mean obviously yeah, like yeah. jack black's the best at doing it but everybody was great like i think everybody except for fucking the jonas kid or whatever um <laughs> well
1: he the, wasn't like, really playing a, a teenager stuck in a adult's body i guess
0: yeah but, but like the dumbest thing about that too is i mean like nothing not to, to do spoilers but uh when you see the adult version of him yeah they clearly cast him to be the young version but the whole way the game works is you're picking a character that doesn't look like you in real life. So why would they cast somebody who could have grown up to be the kid that's in the like, you know what I mean? Like the yeah. Well, he know.
1: clearly chose the like young avatar. the yeah, like, yeah. Gravitated Yeah, but like but, yeah, but, yeah, the it, it, comedy. Anyways, it, like, everyone what else. I, what is, I really appre-
0: appreciated yeah. though was watching um, Jack Black, especially, but also The Rock, and and really all all four of the characters. I liked watching them try to be the persona of the character that we were only introduced to for like a few minutes in the beginning of the film. And I I was, I was talking today at lunch with some people at the office that it's kind of a silly thing to appreciate because this isn't a person doing impression of somebody else because that impression is really just something that both people are acting to like they're all playing a role. So the rock isn't really doing an impression of the kid. He's just also doing the same impression that the kid's doing. So it's not like he's playing two characters in one. He's really just playing the first character that the first kid is, but there was something about watching them try to be those kids. And like in the trailer, they kind of do the cut where you see both people at the same time. And the film doesn't try to do that at all. Like once we go into Jumanji, we're only with the adult actors and There was something just really fun about watching these people, and like The Rock, you can like. There are scenes when, like, in the action moments where he's like punching people and doing wrestling moves, he has this like smile on his face (laughs) where you can tell he is loving filming that scene because it's really fun for him. And I, I and I
1: think everyone looks like they're having a fun time for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that because of who the the actors and actresses are, like, there is. There is a level of enjoyment of just watching them play the roles that the film doesn't necessarily earn on its own. But just watching these people um, is fun to do. And I think that it's it, it, it's almost like cheating. Like you put interesting people on the screen and make them do dumb things and you're going to be entertained by them doing dumb things. And I think that um, – like I I enjoy like first of all the bad guys are horrible in this movie. There's no reason like it's, it's just dumb. Yeah, super <laughs> um, lame. Yeah, but um, I I enjoyed just the characters interacting with each other and watching them go through the story until it was over. So uh, I like I I didn't hate the experience. I just I don't I can't celebrate the film too much. I just enjoyed what it tried to do.
1: Yeah, I mean I think my main problem with it was that the the movie this one didn't feel very adventurous. And have like the same spirit, which I think they were trying to go for. Um, it definitely felt more like dumb comedy instead of like adventure movie. Cause like the first Jumanji is like, for a kid's movie, is pretty scary. Like it's a, it's a intense movie at times. And this one was just more of like wacky, like, you know, wacky comedy and stuff. Um, yeah. And I, I wanted more of that adventurous spirit and 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 stuff like that especially since they get to go inside the game this time um yeah so i just felt like that was all that was all off it just didn't i i didn't like it how they handled that and um uh yeah and then like the stuff in the beginning was just so so bad but so okay so like real brief spoilers um so does the movie end with the game evolving again into an iPhone app, because it that does not. Okay, so that's how it ended when I saw it. Is that the you know they, they they go back out of the game and they're teenagers again, and they're all like you know woo yeah oh well they meet up with uh, Colin Hanks, which you alluded to. So apparently yeah. that's still in the movie. So they meet up with him. They have like a cool like oh I remember you, and then they're back at school and everyone's just like hey have you checked out this new app and like everyone's on their phone and you hear like the jumanji music <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you see you see it like uploading or downloading on everyone's phones and you're just like you know and the, all the teens kind of look at each other like oh shit and then it ends um, yeah
0: that that was definitely not how it ended um it uh they smashed the game with a bowling ball <laughs>
1: wow okay i don't know if they (laughs) i don't know if they did that and when i saw it i don't know i can't remember but yeah yeah yeah
0: i i even on my phone i like pulled just just to make sure i pulled out uh actually yeah yeah i mean most people were already leaving anyway so i pulled out my phone during the credits and i looked just to see if there was a post-credit sequence and it said no Mm. so that that isn't even a post-credit sequence that that does that
1: all right well i guess that was the only thing that was different was they they didn't have the the ending with it evolving into an iphone app (laughs) yeah i I think Um, the whole
0: point of this ending is like oh these people who are all different are now friends because jumanji brought them together right
1: yeah which was still kind of the same ending when i saw it but they like i don't know i'm surprised they didn't leave it the way that they had because you'd think they would just be like you know like any franchise nowadays they would want to just leave it you know or pose the threat of another sequel or whatever. Yeah. But and they might've
0: also changed that ending, not because it didn't work with test audiences, but because they wanted to leave an opening to better, yeah, uh, allow for a sequel or
1: come up with a better idea than iPhone app. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But yeah. So yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a fan.
0: Cool. Well, uh, I'm not quite sure who the owner of Jumanji is, but there is another game that belongs to a little woman named Molly. Uh, yeah. And we're here to talk about that. So Molly's Game is the story of a woman who ran an uh, off, off book. What, what is it? What, what is the term for it? Basically, she was, under, she was hosting an underground. On, yeah, she was hosting an underground ground poker ring i guess uh yeah all over the uh, united states and uh, eventually got busted and it's the story of her trying to find counsel for her little like court appearance that she's going to have to make where she is uh, uh basically involved in this rico case and uh, it's going to be bad for her if she doesn't get uh, somebody to she doesn't find a gunslinger to help uh right. spit words in the courtroom um she might be in trouble and go to jail and all that jazz so Carson Patrick did you like Molly's game? uh yeah, I liked it
1: a lot i mean i i i i, I want I want Aaron Sorkin to write all biopic movies
0: <laughs> <laughs> all biopics. i don't want him to direct all biopics though
1: um yeah i was uh well I was okay with uh I actually thought that he did a pretty commendable job with his first time uh, as a director, like I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty strong. I mean, I think really what it comes down to is just his writing is so strong that um, he didn't really need to do anything flashy with the camera or anything. He didn't need to have like a a Fincher or Danny Boyle or somebody
0: to, uh, he he didn't need to, but it's still like, there's something about that pairing of of him and Fincher that like I love.
1: Yeah. I mean, Yeah definitely, like, it's, it's great, like, um, and I'm sure, like, if somebody like Fincher had done this movie, it would have been great, too, but I just think that, you know, the, the, the the traditional approach to this was, I thought it worked fine, like, I think the real star here was the, was the writing, and, um, it was just really, a, a really great showcase for, uh, some really stellar acting, um, but it's kind of like a. Uh, it, it's again, it's kind of like a like Darkest Hour, Itania, uh, and not like all the money in the world. It's funny because I saw all the money in the world, and then I went, and then I saw Molly's game like a day later or whatever. And you know, I wanted all the money to be like Molly's game. I was like, because that you know had a lot of energy and is basically focusing on. Basically, kind of all of her life, you know. We're flashing back. We're seeing her as a as a young woman, and and her previous uh, life as a, a skier, and all this stuff. We're like, we're getting a lot of like the same structure as all the money, but it was just handled so much more uh, entertainingly and um, done in a way that was, you know, obviously a lot more swift <laughs> um, and, and wasn't as boring because like there's just so much. There's times where there's so much information coming at you. It's it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like running a marathon, like watching this movie. I guess like you could say that about any Aaron Sorkin movie, because um, everyone's just talking really fast. I like when you know characters are really good at what they do. They're talking fast. It's just a fast-paced movie, an interesting subject matter, um, and uh, I-, I didn't know going in, um, but a coworker of Sarah's was like, I guess wasn't really hot on it and said like, yeah, it has like the movie's like 95% voiceover. And I didn't know that. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. Cause like you'd think Aaron Sorkin, he's all about dialogue. Um, and so when the movie started, the movie starts with this like incredible, what feels like a 10 minute sequence of Jessica Chastain voiceover, um, over her skiing and it's not only like her speaking Aaron Sorkin dialogue voiceover, but there's just so much information and, and scenes being cut together in front of it. It's literally like, I'm like, whoa, like this is, this is like next level Sorkin. Like if you like Sorkin, you're going to get it in this movie. Um, and if you don't like, if you're not a fan of Sorkin, then uh, you probably won't be down with it. But I really, I really, really enjoyed the movie. Um, again, like all the money in the world, it was, it was pretty long. It was like two and a half hours almost, but it went by like really fast. Uh, and all the actors are great. This, uh, I feel like would make a a good companion piece with uh, Zero Dark Thirty <laughs> because, because, uh, because Jessica Chastain is playing another person who's just like really great at her job and is so good and achieves, gets so she gets to the top and achieves like such greatness and then afterwards it's like what do i do now <laughs> like yeah 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 so um it was very very similar to that um and and i i don't know if you saw the movie that she was in last year uh miss sloane um I, I didn't i thought that movie was okay it kind of, and it kind of got criticized for being like an aaron sorkin light uh type of movie um but she she like delivered all the dialogue in that movie the way she does in this she was treating it like it was Aaron sorkin like i don't care like i i may not get to work with him so fuck it i'm gonna do it sorkin style and she like killed it in that and i think she was really holding that movie together so i was like whoa they should put her i was like she needs to be in an Aaron sorkin movie and then like a couple days later it was like molly's game jessica chastain i was like oh shit it's gonna be on so Not I'm that no gla- one was her audition. Yeah, so I was like, I'm glad that um she got to do the real thing because she uh yeah, she was adept at at um delivering all the dialogue and stuff. <laughs> yeah, so it's a really, really entertaining movie.
0: Yeah, I mean I I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um I it, it's one of those things where I was just excited for the next or Aaron Sorkin. Um, written uh, picture. I, I mean, I didn't really care that he was directing for the first time. I was curious to see what he'd do. Um, I was joking a little bit at the beginning that I still want Fincher to be there, but I mean, he he did a fine job. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it really comes down to just watching this story play out the way it does. Um, there, there's it's it's really just it's it, it's really just Molly recounting all the events to her lawyer <laughs> for the yeah. whole film. Yeah. And I I mean, I if 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 you. If you're a long time listener, you know that I love the story. I love films about people sitting around in rooms talking. And this is like the best of both worlds where they're sitting alone in rooms talking. But you're also seeing the events that were happening that they're talking about. Um, and it's 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 an interesting story. It's interesting to see how Molly went from nothing to kind of hijacking this game that existed to be her own thing. Um, losing that and then rebuilding it again even stronger and, and kind of just watching her go on that journey and then how that sort of falls apart and and she gets stuck in the situation that she's in. Um, I yeah, it's it was a a fun movie. Um, it hasn't necessarily sat with me that much since I walked away from it, um, but you know, We're here reviewing six films, and I saw a few other things besides that, um, including an entire season of a television show. So it's understandable that it wouldn't necessarily sit with me so much after all this time. Um, But it was still one of those things that was just incredibly fun to watch. Um, Jessica Chastain's uh, great. Um, What's... uh, What's the, the, the male lead's name? Aegis <laughs> Elba. Yeah, Aegis Elba. Yeah, Aegis Elba, he's great in this too. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of great in everything, like, no matter how bad the thing is that he's in. He just Oh, yeah, of he, course. He has, like, so much charisma, and he's, like, a very interesting um, person to uh, yeah just just watch, act. Um, he was the so, one
1: thing holding that Mountain Between Us movie together.
0: <laughs> which I, I still didn't go out and see. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then we get we get Kevin Costner in another great fatherly figure role.
0: It, it's um, so funny there. There is a moment towards the end where he shows back out. He shows back up, and I I would like literally almost out loud. I I just said fuck this movie. <laughs> he thought it was gonna be a I, Batman I, Man of Steel like. He
1: envisions him on a mountain or whatever.
0: No, like I, I was just so mad that I was like, it doesn't make sense that he's here. And that scene wins me over so hard. Oh so yeah, hard. Because well, like, he's a I, he's a real dickhole in this movie. Like his yeah, character. Yeah. But but I just mean like the, the conceit of the fact that he's even there bothered me. And oh, the yeah. film makes up for that so well, like he, just he explained so it. so amazingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he does. But I, I was just like I was just like, nope, fuck this movie, I'm out of here. Uh, I wasn't actually gonna leave, but I just I checked out and was like, this is bullshit. And, and like it it's it totally let me have that and then was like, eh, you're gonna take it back in five, four, three, two, and boom, I was suckered in and I was like, okay. Jesus Christ, this is great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, uh, cool, because in the beginning, you're just like, oh, Kevin Costner is doing his thing, and then, you know, we kind of, the movie peels back more layers, and you realize, like, his character is, like, a real not likable character. Like I say, he's a real dickhole kind of character. And then, you know, he shows back up at the end to completely win you over with that, like, fatherly... Kevin Costner charm. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, like, it's basically, um, yeah, he's basically giving Jessica Chastain, like, the, like, the Cal L, Clark Kent type of speech from Man of Steel at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was all, that was all really, really good. Um, and I also like, it was kind of, not, to the degree of *Itania*, but there was a certain level of meta meta to this movie because you know within the movie they reference the memoir that uh molly bloom wrote in real life um they're constantly referencing that you know jessica chastain is talking about like yeah i've got all these movie deals and stuff and i'm turning them down and so there was like an, a layer of that where they're it's almost like she kind of knows she's in a movie. Um, so that I don't know if I agree with that, but well, I mean, because there is like you know they're kind of using the they're using her book as like a um, you know as like reference points and stuff, which I thought I thought was cool. Like I don't know if that's how it went down in real life, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I just I think I think the story exists. I don't. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but like some of the, like it was fun to go back and read like who um some of the people were supposed to be in the movie like Michael Sarah's character is referred to in the movie as Player X, and uh, and then I read afterward that Player X is supposed to be Toby Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Christ. So um, that Which was also fun. by the
0: way, Toby Maguire being the adult boss baby. Oh yeah, yeah, child, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't I don't know why it fits so well.
1: I was like I, I after we saw after we saw Boss Baby in theaters, I was like Tobey Maguire is just he's just the guy you want to narrate all these fucking movies for the <laughs> older version. I was like Labor Day and now Boss Baby. Um, he's just the guy you go to for be like I remember when I don't know, but yeah, Tobey Maguire supposedly is uh, who Player X is supposed to be. Which I thought was funny that um, that it was Michael Sarah playing him, but he was good. I, I, in the I movie. refuse
0: to believe that Toby, like Toby Maguire, was that guy in real life. Like. I, I can't see Tobey Maguire as could, not being the characters that he plays.
1: I could see it. I could like, especially back then. I guess. Well, I guess this was this was like the odds. So I was going to say the nineties like in the like, real
0: life version. It, it, like his real life character would be the emo version of him in Spider Man Three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, no, I guess your 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 worldview has been shattered. Tobey Maguire is kind of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I, I will say i will say the one thing too is I did not understand how raking works watching the film okay like they, dude i
1: i'll I'll confess right now, and this is in any movie that involves poker when they start explaining the rules of poker and even when they're giving me like uh text and uh, visuals on the screen, uh, my eyes glaze over. I still don't know how the how you play fucking
0: poker. <laughs> but no, I'm no like, 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 it's it's not about the poker. It's about when the house is raking from the table. Oh yeah, like, that I too. Under- I did,
1: I didn't get that either. Yeah. Yeah,
0: like I I like I had to I had to look at because here, here's what was going through my head. Like minor spoilers for the film, but at some point the uh in, in the story Molly has enough money in play in really big hands that like. If people were to cash out, they would be owed money that Molly doesn't have on hand to pay them. So she would be at risk. Yeah. So she has a dealer who's like, hey, if there's any hand in play and you feel the hand is getting too large, give me the symbol and I'll do something. She doesn't say what it is. But the whole movie, Molly's saying, I've never never raked any of the games. Like, all my stuff is above board. Like, everything we're doing is completely legit. She basically... Lives off of tips from the players who are playing the game, so she's taking no money from, so she's not breaking the laws. So I knew that raking meant breaking laws, but in that scene, in my head, I just assumed that like the chick was gonna deal something that made I, I I don't know I don't know what I thought, but I I just thought that was unrelated to raking. But she gives her the signal, she puts up a two. And the, the dealer, she takes a few chips out and just puts them back in the little, whatever the little chip bin is that the dealer has under her. Um, yeah. And in my head during the movie, I was like, why would the players just let her take money off the table? Like, I didn't understand what raking was. And I guess if you play in underground pool games, you just accept that when the pot's really big, the house might take a few chips from the pot and keep it for themselves, which I guess makes sense. I just in the context, no player at the table went like, "Wait a second, what's going on here?" Yeah, I guess because so all the it, like, all the I,
1: yeah, because all the players at the table were like shady Russian mob dudes. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. Like it, it's a it's a weird situation. So it, it, it just I didn't understand how you didn't have to establish raking policies before people entered the game. Like, yeah. you're like, hey, welcome to my table. Just so you know, I charge a whatever percent on any pots above one whatever size like if if that's established ahead of time then like sure that's just how games are played so you know they're going to take some money out of different hands but it was just weird to me that it was like oh just so you know like and she's like that's when it happened i took my first rake uh, like yeah. off the game, whatever it's like i i yeah I, I had to go wikipedia it um just because i didn't quite understand how it works and what the rules are for that um but yeah, that's, that's like my nitpick of the movie. <laughs> I mean,
1: I, I didn't understand it either. And obviously them describing it in rapid fire Sorkin dialogue didn't really help either to make me understand it more. But like, I mean, I I didn't mind that. Like, I like watching movies like this, uh, like Rounders. and And I don't care that I don't know about poker cards like i feel like it's cool to watch it and the characters know so much about the game and know how to play it and they're playing like you know super fast and legit and that's what makes it entertaining um and i just that's you know i still haven't figured out like all the all the rules and stuff but
0: i was like i don't you know i don't really care like it's fine that way yeah i mean I, i i understood it I understood it on some like I understand the the confines of like okay if you're if everybody if if everybody comes in and there's a certain buy-in and nobody can buy in multiple times and everybody has to play until they're out so winner take all then you're never at risk but when you keep essentially like when somebody says give me another 200,000 there's 200,000 dollars on the table but they didn't walk in with a backpack of 200,000 extra dollars. They basically took a line of credit from that game, which means if everybody plays until one person wins, that person is owed everything they have plus 200,000 extra dollars. Like that that totally made sense to me. Um it was just a matter of like how does raking play into this and yeah. how do you communicate to your players how much you've raked from that game? Like if I'm if I went in and I like if I went to a, a guy's house to play poker and I paid $50 and at the end of the night I was owed like a couple thousand dollars or whatever um like I and and then I somebody paid me not that much money <laughs> like I would be like hey uh shouldn't I like I thought the pot was this much right like so, I don't know it, it it on on some level just in the moment I was like wait what's happening explain it to me and the film doesn't and and which is fine. Like it doesn't have to hold my hand. It wasn't technically important to the story. It was just I was curious how. Like the game does so, or the, the the movie does so, such a good job of explaining to me the situation and how she's handling things that like it was just suddenly I was lost and I and I wanted help that I couldn't get from the movie. Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, like I said, I've you know I was fine with that, and and obviously. Um, Uh, everybody else in the cast is great and, um, yeah, like it was just a, it was just a really entertaining watch. Um, and like I said, it was, you know, it's, it's a good, like any, anytime like people are playing high stakes poker in movies, I think is really entertaining to watch. Um, yeah, I don't know what else there
0: is to say about that. Yeah, um, not much, I guess. Um, we haven't been doing individual verdicts for each of the films as we went through them. But I think like the easy way to handle it is I think if if people haven't seen any of the movies on this list and they were going to see one movie from the list, what which one would you choose, Carson? Oh,
1: uh, oh, I thought we were just going to go down and be like, boom, 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 rating, rating, rating. Um, <laughs> now I'm on the spot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alright, let's say
0: let's say let's say you're top I mean I, I think it's pretty safe to say that we were the most positive on Itanya and Molly's game.
1: Yeah. Um I would uh I'd definitely say Itanya out of the out of this batch, yeah. Um I don't know though, I might go Darkest Hour above Molly's game, but that that's close. But that would definitely be a t- the top three <laughs> movies of, of this bunch. Um Jumanji would definitely be on the bottom. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean,
0: I, I think I think the only the only ones from this list that I truly like care to kind of pimp out would be Itania and Molly's game. I think those ones they have enough in and of themselves to be worth the watch. Um, that I can blanket sort of say like, oh, these are pretty cool. You should check them out. Um, I think while I appreciate a Darkest Hour, like I, it's not one that I would like. I I would recommend it to somebody who was just curious about it like it's one of those things where it's it it was a movie where it was me and a bunch of old people in the theater and that's exactly who i expected to be in the theater like no no youngies (laughs) were in the theater with me and (laughs) yeah i think that like if you're if you're really interested in seeing gary olden perform as churchill then this is the movie for you to watch but it's not necessarily something that like is for me as interesting just on it like it doesn't it's it's one that I'm I wasn't I wouldn't be as excited to pimp out to somebody else, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I would say definitely those three movies, I Tanya, Darkest Hour, Molly's Game, for me would be definite must-sees, uh, downsizing Jumanji, definite thumbs down. Um, and all the money in the world, I would probably say, you know, that's fine if for a a good HBO go viewing um because i i feel like there is some stuff to appreciate in all the money in the world like i in that movie like i feel like there is some good things in it it's just kind of bogged down by a lot of stuff that was boring um but you know I,
0: I, I i want a dvd extra where it'll be like the credit sequences from the disaster artist where you have the side by side of their take and the other take and i want to see spacey versus plumber (laughs) like just split screen well maybe
1: that'll be on one of the special features
0: yeah i guess even if it's not you could just put two tvs with two copies of the dvd and then run (laughs) each of the modes side by side
1: so once that footage gets released i'm sure someone will do that they'll do a side by side on on youtube Yeah, yeah they'll post it online somewhere um
0: yeah yeah, well, I think that's probably going to do it for this Omnibus Review episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast. We will be back next week with our year-ending recap, where we're going to count down our top 10 films of the year, or our favorite 10 films of the year. got to say that carefully, because they may not be the best, but they're our favorite. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, Carson Patrick, people can't find you on the internet because you are, you're hiding out, running your underground poker games. Um, yeah. But people can find me over at com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at spoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. Um, if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash warning or like us at facebook.com slash warning. Um, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at spoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from one of the films we talked about uh, in this episode. So hopefully you are enjoying that. Um, yeah, we, as I said, we're we'll back next week. Steven will be back with us. Um, I don't know if he will have had time to see anything except for "Call Me by Your Name," which we did that in the car review as we were driving. Um, that was so.
1: that was fun.
0: <laughs> I told. I can't-
1: i told steven i was like i'm surprised chris released this (laughs) because the audio was the audio quality was so bad i'm sure i was twitching your eye was twitching while editing that (laughs)
0: you you have no idea how long and how many times we processed that audio in multiple different um programs to try to get as much of that background noise out as we could um the best I could do would, was to add background noise behind things that didn't have it, uh, just so at least it felt uniform through the whole thing. But we figured it was a fun experiment. We talked about what it was and why it sounded like that at the beginning, so hopefully that was good enough. I almost recorded a separate intro saying, only listen to this if you're really curious about our thoughts on this film. But I mean,
1: you know, it wasn't it wasn't
0: that bad. It was listenable. Like, I could
1: understand everything. It was fine. It just—I yeah, yeah. know that you were probably tripping out over it, so <laughs> that's why I was laughing. Yeah, yeah. when I first no, I mean, heard it, it, it,
0: I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah." No, it, it, if if in the car would have been a hundred percent fine if we weren't driving, but we weren't going to pull over for an hour when we had been driving for nine hours, so yeah. But yeah, anyways, that's it. (laughs) Hopefully other people survived that. It didn't bother them as much as it bothered me. Um, But uh, yeah, as I said, we'll be back next time. Talk to you guys later.